and welcome back to season two of Sprinkles of SEL with U2L, a podcast on social emotional learning, wellness, neuroscience, and healthy habits for educators and anyone in the education space, really. I'm Lauren. And I'm Namratha. And we are the SEL team here at United to Learn. So if this is your first time hearing about SEL, or maybe if you've heard about it but you're still confused, that's what this episode is about. If you listened to season one, you've heard us talk about the basics of what social-emotional learning represents in our very first episode. But to kick off season two, we want to take a deeper dive and help level our understanding on the state of SEL, the science, the success, and the setbacks. So... Before we begin on the state of SEL, I'm going to set the stage with a little pop quiz. Are you ready, Namratha? I am ready. All right. First question. Namratha, how many public schools have reported an increase in the percent of their students seeking mental health services at school? How many out of like... Out of 10. Out so of like for 10? every 10, okay. Okay. how many of them are reporting that students, and there has been an increased percentage of students needing mental health services at school? I'm going to guess it's above the majority, so I'm going to guess at least six out of 10 schools. Close. Okay. Seven. Oh, okay. So for <laughs> every 10 schools, seven of them are reporting that they have an increased number of students in need of mental health services. That's a majority. That is more than majority. That is a majority. So, uh, yikes. Yeah. And that's kind of setting the stage for us a little bit, right? If we are in the middle of especially a teen mental health crisis, we need supports on campuses, especially if our students are spending eight or more hours of their day on their campuses. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to dive into the background of SEL. So SEL is one of those fields where I think we all get a little confused sometimes when we hear it because there's just so many different phrases and words and we, you know, different structures to it that we all get a little confused about. So why is it so hard to grasp? It's because it's still a pretty young field. Much like our children's minds, SEL is still growing, it's still adapting and evolving. But the good news is it is evidence-based. There has been numerous studies showing that SEL interventions have been proven to positively impact school culture, academic behaviors, and school attendance. Wait, did I hear you correctly? SEL, Mm -hmm. social emotional learning skills and wellness, Mm -hmm. impact school culture? School culture, our academic behaviors. Academics? Academics? It's crazy, right? (laughs) And our attendance. Attendance? (laughs) I mean, these are all things that as our schools, we're we're looking at these as indicators of student success, school success. So this levels up really well to our districts and our policy studies. And so this is really interesting for us to keep in mind that something as simple as social and emotional growth can really have that long uh, long-standing impact, right? Mm, tell uh, me more. Yeah, let me let me let's just dive into this, right? So when you talk about SEL, when you are diving into this field, there's going to be so much that comes to light. And one of the main key findings comes from an earlier meta-analysis around uh, 2011. They analyzed 
uh, numerous studies involving over 270,000 students. So these are students from elementary to high school age. And when all these studies, this big meta-analysis found that across this age group, students who participated in an SEL program had an 11% gain, 11% gain in their overall academic performance compared to their peers who didn't perform or who didn't participate in these interventions. So students who practice SEL, schools who foster great SEL practices, allow students to engage in great SEL practices, and it's shown an 11% gain academically? Exactly. 11% gain. So that's huge, right? When you're looking at just your test scores, that's a huge gain. Mm -hmm. And that's proven to have long-lasting impacts apart from student student success just in that uh, short-term period of time. So follow-up meta-analysis have found that effects of these SEL interventions in schools also demonstrate lasting impact on academic success with students who participated in these interventions scoring an average of 13% higher than students who didn't. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So let me get this straight. Like basic, everybody accessing SEL practices causes an 11% gain in academics. And furthermore, if a student is provided with SEL interventions, meaning more intensive support specifically um, targeted around social emotional learning and skills, they could have a thir- on average a 13% increase higher than students who don't. Right. And that's the exciting thing, right? Where it's like you're doing an SEL intervention and you're doing it within a certain time period, but you see these impacts at a longer period of time past the time that in which you are doing this intervention. What do you mean? So students who have participated in SEL interventions, they're not just improving academically, right? We see long lasting impacts not only in their social and emotional skills, their academic skills, but all of this contributes to their positive later life outcomes. So some studies have found that these outcomes can last up till 18 years later than when you are participating wow. in an SEL intervention. That's well, I suppose 18. if you think about it, like trauma can stay with you forever. Yeah. So maybe implementing good practices can mm-hmm. also stay with you for quite a long time. Yeah. And that's a great way to frame that, right? Yeah. Trauma is something that happens to us without us realizing it. So imagine what we can do with something we are consciously trying to take mm-hmm. in, right? So that's 18, up to 18 years later. And that includes these outcomes such as greater rates of reaching our high school graduation, enrolling in university, completing university, and being able to attain that stable full-time employment. So these are all really great things. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. SEL is important. Soak that in. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on to the science of SEL, it's that pop quiz time again. Okay. All right, Namratha, here we go. It's a toughie. True or false? Emotion is essential to learning. Considering how I felt about some classes that I've done well in and how I've not done well in and others, I'm going to say true. I'm going to say yes. true on that one. <laughs> yes. Emotion is a part of the learning process. Okay. So let's talk about the science behind that. Mm-hmm. So let's bring a little bit of neuroscience just to set the stage for us, right? So anyone who's familiar with just the process of what's happening with um, the neurons that are firing in our heads, 
all this all this is just to say, just to to summarize all of that, is that when we are gaining a skill, when we are practicing that skill, and when we are doing it to a uh, to a longer period of time, that is that we get better and better at that skill, our neurons are firing and firing until they are wiring together. <laughs> Wait, Namratha, mm-hmm. neurons that fire together? Wire together. Ah! Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so they fire together, they wire together, and they are forming these stronger and stronger connections the more and more those pathways are being formed and the more that they are being used. And so what's happening is when we learn, we are building these pathways actively in our heads, right? So we are when we are teaching a student, we are actively shaping the way these pathways are forming in our students' brain. So it's really exciting. You are literally affecting the brain processes. But what ends up happening is there there are also external processes. And actually, let me let me take that back. Not external. They are internal processes that affect that learning. So as Dr. Imordina Wang explains, emotion is essential to learning. Put simply, she explains that it is nearly impossible to think deeply about something if you don't care about it. Mm. Yeah. Say that again. It is impossible to think deeply about something if you do not care about it. And I found that true in my own experience. If I Absolutely. do not care about the work in front of me, it's so hard to get it done. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not learning. I'm not growing from that process either. So her findings, what she's done in her research, has demonstrated that students are more likely to cognitive, cognitively engage in a task when they are emotionally engaged. So I think this is really important for us to keep in mind as educators, as anyone invested in our child's outcomes and in their learning process. We have to recognize also that. One, we have to make sure our students are engaged, right? We have to make sure they feel emotionally invested in the material. But two, we have to recognize that not every student comes into that classroom even ready to learn. So when anyone is experiencing prolonged stress or trauma, anything that is caused by adverse childhood experiences or... Side note, if you'd like a Mm -hmm. uh, podcast on ACEs, we'd be happy to do it if you're unfamiliar. ACEs are adverse childhood Mm -hmm. experiences. Mm -hmm. Sorry, keep going. No worries. So when anyone is experiencing that, targeted SEL support can really help them form those new neural connections between the parts of their brain that are affecting emotion and cognition. And that's going to help them manage those stressors more effectively. So at a psychological level, when we're talking in the education field about uh, social and emotional skills like emotional awareness, regulation, social awareness, we're talking about it on that level. But what's happening in the brain is so, so much deeper. Wow. Namratha, well said. And one of my favorite lines is the power of (laughs) neuroplasticity. We can change our brains by our how our neurons work. So definitely um, really important to understand that SEL best practices are rooted in neuroscience. Yes. And backed by the science of the brain and how we function mm-hmm. with our brains. Exactly. So now that we've talked about the science, let's go ahead and move on to the success of SEL. However, before we do that, got another pop quiz question. Okay. I'm feeling okay about these so far. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing okay. This one uh, came from an, uh, an article that I read about a month ago, mm-hmm. and it the statistic just stuck with me. Oh gosh. So loud. So um potential trigger warning. Namratha, 
what do you think is the second leading cause of child death in the United States? You know, it's it's I'm I'm nervous only because there's just so many and that's in and of itself kind of difficult to think about. Sure. Yeah. One of the things that came to mind immediately when you first asked me that was was gun violence. Yes. The other thing was anything mental health related. Yes. So I'm not too sure actually. Yes. It's um yeah. it is suicide. Oh. Suicide is the second leading cause of death, child death in the US. Mm-hmm. And suicide like we can put systems in place to keep people from ever feeling like they're in that place, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And suicide is invisible, right? And so implementing great mental health practices, social emotional practices, understanding yourself and others is so important. So the success of SEL also hinges upon that. Mm. And so what I mean when I say that is, um, uh, for example, a case study done in Tacoma Public Schools found that clear and united vision with goals towards SEL involving both the school and the community positively support community-wide SEL implementation. Can I just point out there? It's the school and the community, right? It's not something that is just happening within the confines of the the, the physical space of a school. It is something that is existing outside of that space as well. So it's the school and the community. Yes. Yeah. And it's important, <clears throat> you know, the old phrase of It takes a village to raise a child, Mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. We all want children to feel safe, successful, and cared for, regardless of whose children they are. They're our future. Mm -hmm. They're going to be leading us one day. And so it's really important that we all get on the same page and we all work towards increasing our own well-being. So adult SEL skills are the foundation to truly developing student SEL skills. So if an adult stakeholder in a child's life is not wholly committed and doesn't embody good SEL practices themselves, the student's SEL development suffers, and then so does their academics. And so it's really important that us as adults take the opportunity to model and engage in our own best SEL practices. Correct. Correct. Additionally, adults, when you foster it, kids know. Kids know when you're being authentic. Kids oh, know. Kids they, will call you out too. Yeah, which I'm sure they about. Called you, they, they will should. keep you accountable. Okay. <laughs> um, but our learning environments where students have felt seen, have felt supported, have felt respected and understood by their teachers are engaging are able to engage in conversations about diversity and acceptance and what their ideal learning environment looks like mm-hmm. and when we get to a place where our children can engage in thoughtful dialogue about accepting others about inclusion about diversity that can be a real game changer and so um just want to point out and reiterate that SEL is equity-minded. Yes. It is equity-minded. And like you said, having those conversations and giving students that power to be able to make those 
um, decisions for themselves and have those conversations. It's equity-minded. It fosters that equity, and it fosters that sense of acceptance, right, that we talked about absolutely. before. Absolutely. And know, within advocating themselves. for themselves or yes, others. Yes, absolutely. Huge. Pop quiz time, Namrath. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm feeling slightly stressed, but we're good. <laughs> I'm back in school now. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. So what percent of teachers do you think say that an emphasis on social-emotional well-being has had a positive effect on the engagement in their classrooms? What percent of teachers say that an emphasis on social-emotional well-being has a positive effect on engagement in their classrooms? So I'd like for this number to be very positive, very much so the majority. So I'm going to say at least like 75%. Close. Okay. It's even higher. Hanover, which is the briefing that was released in May of this year, found that 81% of teachers say that an emphasis on social and emotional well-being has a positive effect on engagement in their classroom. That's awesome. And if you're an educator, you know a key to success is student engagement. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to make our students feel a part of the room, be engaged so that they can um, really dive in and get the most out of their schooling experience. Mm-hmm. But this is where it becomes tricky, right? So we've talked about so much of the science behind this, the state, the success. And I think this is really great. I feel like there's no reason for us not to be doing this. But if we don't have the some of what we talked about before, the adult engagement piece of this, if we don't have some of those things, our whole operation falls apart. So studies have actually repeatedly shown that when we do not have educator buy-in, not only do our students suffer, but so do our adults. So if an SEL-based intervention is not implemented with our full staff buy-in, Studies have shown that it can actually have a detrimental impact on our students' academic performance. So this is the opposite effect of what we want to be happening right now. On top of that, not only do our students suffer, but our educators' social and emotional health, as well as their teaching and implementation, so their actual teaching skills, are also suffering from this lack of commitment and investment on their end on on the SEL curriculum. So we really do want to be able to foster this as the adults in the room. We do want to be able to foster this first for ourselves, right? Because if we're not doing it, if we're not believing it, if we're not imbibing it, our students won't be doing it either. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm just going to tell a little story here. I was scrolling social media the other day and I saw the cutest little peanut. She just got out of daycare. Her mom was picking her up. She like got in the van, completely dramatic, like exhausted, dramatic, over the top. And she's like, and she whips the door open. She throws her head back and her arms up. She goes, mom, I just need a minute. (laughs) And then the mom kind of chuckled and she's like, okay, like, are you good? Like, how are you? Like, what's going on? She goes, mom, daycare is just so much. I just need a minute. What okay. A mood. What a mood. <laughs> <laughs> and the mom, the mom chuckled and she was like, hey, you know, I get it. I can understand it. I need a minute. You know, you, you must have had a busy day and, te- you know, like, tell me about it. And the little girl's like, we just have to do so many things. Like we had to go to lunch, mom. We had to go to lunch. Right. And so she's such a mood. First of yes, all, <laughs> this is me. <laughs> the power of a kiddo in daycare, not even a school aged kid mm. yet. 
The fact that she could get in the car and let mom know, like, I literally need a break. She literally, like, hung her head off the side of the car seat, was halfway in, halfway out of the car, just expressing, I need a minute. I laughed, and I thought that was, like, a real application of a child implementing their own skill set to advocate for themselves. Absolutely. there. She's not only practicing, like... She recognizes, first of all, she's just like, I feel horrible right yes. now. I know that she I feel she's I feel bad, <laughs> but I also know that I'm going to, I need to communicate that appropriately. I know that I need to just tell people where I am. I know I need to take a minute to regulate that so that she's doing amazingly and she's only four, right. which is crazy. Right. And so obviously this has been taught to her. This has been modeled for mm-hmm. her. That could mm-hmm. have very easily turned into a toddler tantrum I and know. been a very different car ride home, but we equipped or somebody equipped that child with the skills that they need to be able to work through their own emotions, which is super impactful. Um, So we're going to keep going. We'll try to make this brief because we are still forever working on keeping our podcast short. Question for you (laughs) listeners. Um, What do you think society wants our children to achieve in school? Why do our kids go to school, right? Our kids go to school to learn. If we want our children to be successful, we also want to send our children to a place that is joyful, that is filled with love, that they want to be at, because the reality is they're spending a lot of time there. And so I just encourage you, I pr- I'm pressing you to take some time to really consider if, if we're all on the same page about why children go to school. Kids go to school because we want them to learn. We want them to learn in a joyful, loving environment. We can't do that if the adults aren't well and if the adults aren't practicing good wellness habits, good social emotional skills, we're at a loss because another study, this is from Hanover, released in May. So this is very current and very alarming. Namratha, how many educators do you think experience burnout? I really wish for this number to be low, but considering the conversations we've had with educators that we work with, I know that number is high. So I'm going to say at least an eight or a nine. Yes. <clears throat> it's nine. Okay. Nine out of 10 educators. Oh, man. <laughs> report burnout. That's May of 2023. That's right now. That's now. Yeah. Do we want our children going into a building where we want them to learn? With 90% of adults being burned out, what other field has 90% of its workforce feeling burned out? And why is education the only one that's doing that? Because it's at the expense of our children. So what do you have the power to control? What do we do about this? I think that's the thing, right? I think hearing that, that's really, it's alarming. And it could feel like a big burden, all of this, but it really is as simple as three things that all of us can do. And it's whether you're an educator, a community member, an administrator, anyone interested in social and emotional health, there's three things, right? One is investment. And this isn't just monetary investment, but full buy-in and support. So as educators, right, you have to believe in what you're teaching. And if you haven't believed in it, then you've already given up on that mission before you started. But it also requires all of our investment to support our educators where they are. Two is support. Like I've just said, one person alone cannot move that needle. So we all have to be ready to advocate and support our SEL skills as necessary. Imbibe that ourselves. Practice it because our students are watching. 
And that leads me into our third thing, which is practicing what you preach, right? So as adults, like we've talked about, if we are not practicing our SEL skills, we're not going to be able to teach it. And I'll just, I'll just end it off like this really quickly. Lauren, if I'm going to teach you how to change your oil in your car and I haven't done that myself, are you going to trust me to do that for you? Uh, of course not. No, <laughs> no. I'm yeah. going to think you're crazy and exactly. I'm going to want to go to somebody who regularly changes oil. Exactly. You're not just going to go to somebody who's done it maybe once. You're going to want to go to somebody who's an expert, right? They've done it multiple times. So we have to be our experts. We have to be the experts and take it upon ourselves. Be intentional with our words, our actions, our thoughts, because our students are watching and they are listening and they are learning from us, whether we realize they are or not. Right. And so you can also take the opportunity to narrate your thoughts out loud, particularly when you're trying to battle a frustrating thing such as losing your keys. I mean, maybe maybe keep the clean version for you to narrate aloud for the children around you. But let's say you're working through something. Mm-hmm. Just narrate what that looks like in your head out loud and model for kids how how we work through things the same way we we model academics. We also need to model SEL skills. So That brings us to our um, commitments for the week. I think my commitment is really going to be what we were just talking about when it comes to, I'm going to try and be a little bit more intentional with my day. If I am going to do something, I want to be intentional about it. I want to be very mindful of the way I am. I'm thinking about it. I also want to have that conveyed out and my actions as well, and what I'm saying. Yes. So I want that. practicing what you preach. Absolutely. I want that (laughs) unity of that word indeed, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, My commitment for the week uh, is inspired by um, a podcast I was listening to recently about silence. Sitting in silence is very uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I always have an audiobook playing, a podcast playing, a TV going in the background. I'm on the phone having a conversation. Like I am always engaged in some sort of intentional listening, mm-hmm. even if it's like background noise. But um, I'm forcing myself to sit in silence sometimes and then listen to the silence. Yeah. And can I just share one thing that you made me think of? I think that's a really great way of learning to be comfortable with what we're uncomfortable with. Totally. So our last piece before we leave is always our mindful moment, which I'm still reading from a book called A Year of Mindfulness for Beginners uh, by Lee Papa. And this message is very pertinent to today. It is by Jerry Metellus, and it is, quote, If you have never fallen and risen time and time again, you've never learned to walk. Love that. So as you're hitting your trials and tribulations, rocky paths, just know that you're going somewhere good, and this is just the journey, and it's going to be great. So with that being said, officially, Season two, thank you for those who, who are tuning in and listening, who are our amazing SELs last season. And if you're new here, we're so excited that you're here. Follow us on social media at United to Learn. You can see everything our organization does. We'll post all of our, our um, updates and episode releases there. And of course, last but not least, SELs.
We love you. We see you. You are amazing. You are great. You are going to achieve incredible things. You will get over any hurdles you're experiencing. And you're going to come out on top. It'll be okay. We will all come out on top. So um, thank you for listening. And we love you. Until next time. Bye, SEI. Bye. Bye.